0: To today. My name is Mark Tinsley, and you are joining me on the message, which is a ministry of inquiry for today. Today's message is going to be based on Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. We're going to be talking about persistent faith today. Persistent faith. Let's start by reading God's Word Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep. Instantly, praise God for His Word. I don't read a passage like that. And consider a title like my sermon today: "Persistent Faith." And I wonder, what is persistence really? Well, according to Webster uh, Webster's Dictionary, persistence is the quality that allows someone to continue doing something or trying to do something, even though it is difficult or opposed by other people. Let me let me read that again. Uh, uh, persistence is the quality that allows someone to continue doing something or trying to do something even though it is difficult or opposed by other people. You know, when I think about persistence in our world today, there are so many examples from the sports world. I mean, think about Michael Jordan. You know, the story of Michael Jordan is that he was cut from his high school basketball team uh, when he was a young man. Yet we all know that he became one of the greatest basketball players in the NBA of all time. Think about Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. You know, he, he, the story goes that he was told no to his idea of fried chicken, a uh, fried chicken uh, fast food restaurant franchise. He was told no a thousand and nine times before he found success. Uh, Steven Spielberg was rejected from three film schools. The great director-producer rejected by three schools. And, of course, the famous story about Thomas Edison... When he was asked about failure, he said, you know, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. You know, had these folks, Michael Jordan, Steven Spielberg, Colonel Sanders, Thomas Edison, had they given up on their objectives, had they given up on their dreams, they would have certainly failed. Fortunately for us, they persisted. They didn't let opposition deter them. They said no in the face of failure and defeat, and they moved forward. They moved on. And eventually they moved up and over their obstacles that were placed in front of them. You know, in my own life, I can remember being a very poor student in elementary school and middle school. I got to the eighth grade and I remember getting a paperback from my English teacher, Mrs. Costas. She handed me the English paperback and it had a C on it. I remember that grade for the rest of my life. And I remember what she said to me. She said, you can do better you can do better and I remember thinking you know I've been told that I'm not very smart I've been told that I'm not very good but Miss Costas believed in me and it, it, it sparked a, a resiliency in me a motivation in me a persistence in me that, that that really goes to this day but I remember how I took that instance and I persisted I started to work hard and not take no for an answer, to not take you're a failure for an answer. I was able to get my grades up and eventually graduate as the valedictorian of my high school class. I don't say that to brag because I was not an intelligent person. I'm not an intelligent person. But what I was in that case was persistent. And each of you no doubt has a story like that in your life. A time when you stood nose to nose with opposition. A, a time when you stared down defeat and failure. A, a time when you grabbed the proverbial bull by the horns and didn't let go. I want you to think about that time right now. Think about it. Seriously. Think about it. Persistence. That, my friends, is persistence. In our passage of scripture this morning, Matthew chapter fifteen, twenty-one through 28, we see a uh, a Gentile woman in despair. She's emotionally beat down and she's at, she's spiritually at the doorstep of defeat. Her daughter, whom she no doubt loved and cherished, as each of you uh, on this podcast, love and cherish your own children. Well, this child of hers has been inflicted with a demon. This daughter's whose name we're not told. So put the name of your own child in, it, in her place. This child is... Not just tormented, but scripture tells us severely tormented. She's going through quite literally a hellish experience. It makes me think of C.S. Lewis's character Screwtape in the Screwtape letters. And remember, Screwtape says to his nephew Wormwood, tortured fear and stupid confidence are both desirable states of mind. These two literary demons, created by C.S. Lewis, are conversing about Christians. And they allude to the fact that Satan and his minions are not not out to simply confound us. They're not out to simply trip us up a little bit or to be a mild irritation. To the contrary, they're out to torture our souls with fear, doubt, anxiety, and a host of other undesirable reactions. I'm also reminded of 1 Peter 5, 8, where Scripture says that the devil prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. That is, who he may destroy, as the original language leads us to interpret. Not just devour, but to destroy, to drink down and to destroy. And folks, that's exactly what's happening to this daughter in Matthew 15. She's being devoured. She's being destroyed. And so her despairing mother comes to Jesus and says, No doubt with tears in her eyes, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering Terribly, the NIV says, or as the New Living Translation says, she is severely tormented. Now, without a doubt, most of us would expect Jesus, who's the great grace giver of history, who is described in one way or another throughout scripture as being the incarnation of love and mercy, to reach out and heal this girl. We would expect Jesus to take immediate action and do that which only he can do. And that is to give this tormented girl peace. But the narrative takes a surprising turn, doesn't it? First of all, verse 23 tells us that Jesus ignored the mother. It says, but Jesus gave her no reply. What? Is this a childish Jesus? Is is he doing what a 10-year-old schoolboy or schoolgirl would do? Then as if to add insult to injury after being encouraged by his disciples to tell the mother to leave, he says these words. He says, I was sent only to help the people of Israel, God's lost sheep, not the Gentiles. And we say, what? What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, first of all, if we put our emotional responses aside and look at the facts, Jesus is telling the truth from a certain perspective. I mean, he was sent in time and place to the first century Jewish world. And as the book of Hebrews clearly states throughout, he said, he was sent, he says he was sent to be the perfect sacrifice, the paschal lamb under the sacrificial system of the Mosaic law. The people of God had failed to uphold the Mosaic law and had time and time again proven their sinfulness before the righteousness of God. So, God took care of the tenets of the Mosaic law through his only son, Jesus Christ, who became a physical human being among the Jews, lived the law perfectly, died on the cross as an atonement for the sins of man, and then rose again on the third day to conquer sin and death forever. It's it's the narrative that we all know and love and that we all eternally eternally live by as Christians. But he did all this work among the Jews, for the most part, and under the Jewish religious system. Jesus wasn't sent to Rome. He wasn't sent to Native America. He wasn't sent to Africa or Australia or Central Europe. He was sent to Israel, the promised land spoken about in the Old Testament. He was sent in fulfillment, not of Muslim or Hindu or secular prophecy, but he was sent in fulfillment of Judaic prophecy. So you see, Jesus was being truthful with this mother. Now Jesus himself and Paul and Peter and others clearly instruct us in the New Testament that Jesus' death and sacrifice were ultimately for all mankind. But he did, in fact, do all of his work among the Jews, almost exclusively, save some work among the Samaritans and other subgroups. Well, the woman is not satisfied because, well, her daughter, whom she cares about deeply, uh, still has a demon, right? So she tries again. But this time she simply utters the words, Lord, help me. Lord, help me think about the innocence of these words. They're they're like the words of a child. There's no power here. There's there's no arrogance. There's no pride. There's no supposition of self-reliance. These words convey singular reliance on the only one she knows can help her, namely Jesus. Lord, help me. So once again, we expect the mercy of God to lead Jesus to heal this young girl. But he confounds us again, and he responds, it isn't right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. I mean, Jesus calls this woman a dog, right? He says, I'm not going to turn from my work among the Jews who are my children and begin working with you dogs, the Gentiles. And again, we ask, what? What is going on, Jesus? However, we must once more push emotion to the side and think logically and historically. And when we do, we see that Jesus is speaking the truth from a certain perspective. The Jews were the children of God. They were God's people. You know, God had had saved the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. He had brought them through the Red Sea. He had been with them in the wilderness for 40 years. He had been with them when they they had entered the promised land. God had been with these people. He had made covenants with Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Moses and others. They were his chosen people, the people he loved, the people he cherished, the people he adored, They were the people he had chosen out of all the people on the earth. On the flip side of that coin, he had stood against the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Perizzites, and the Malachites, and the Egyptians, and others. In fact, he had slain other peoples who stood against Israel. He had treated these people groups like dogs, largely because they had treated his children like dogs. You know, fathers and and mothers will stand up to their children. If they've been abused by someone like a teacher or another adult, they don't take it. They'll stand up. They'll fight for their children. This is what God is like with his people. Look at when the people of God entered the promised land. There was a lot of carnage there as the Gentiles warred with the children of God. It was a dog-eat-dog world in those days, and the people of God were smack in the middle of a dog fight. So Jesus, in effect, is saying to the mother, I've watched my people fend for their lives all these many centuries against people like you, and now you're asking me to turn my back on my people, if just for a second, to help you. No way. No way. But the mother persists, doesn't she? She persists and she turns from making pleas and she begins to speak truth. Truth that Jesus knew, but I would submit that Jesus wanted to see if she knew and that Jesus wanted others to hear. She says, yes, Lord, but even dogs are permitted to eat crumbs that fall beneath the master's table. I want you to look at the words she uses here and in other places in this passage. I want to go through a couple of them here. She uses the word Lord. Through this word, she is is showing that Jesus is her Adonai. Jesus is her leader and her king, her Lord. She uses the word dogs, and with this word, she recognizes her place in the landscape of God. She's a sinner worthy of nothing. Compared to God, she is a wretched organism that scrounges, through the trash heaps of life to make her way. She is of that group that has traditionally and historically turned its back on God and his people. She uses the word crumbs, and crumbs are morsels, right? She's not asking for a bounty, but only some scraps. She's not prideful, but she's contrite in spirit. And then she uses the word master, where she recognizes that she's a follower in her rightful place before God. She is subservient to God, a servant ready to do the bidding of her superior. Do you see what's going on here, folks? This mother is demonstrating that which God wants from all of us, namely humility. She knows who she is before the living God of all creation. But more importantly for the message today, she is persistent. She doesn't give up. In the face of opposition, she looks defeat in the eyes and says, I reject you. And then she looks her Lord in the eyes and says, on three different occasions and in three different ways, Lord, help me. Help me not because I deserve it or because I'm one of your chosen people, or because I am inherently a good person, but simply because you are Lord and master of my life, and in your dispensation of grace and mercy and love, I know, I know, I know, I know that you'll throw me some crumbs, that you'll give me something. Why? Because you're Jesus, and you've come to save the world. This is what she recognizes. This is what her persistence shows. What does Jesus do with that? He says on this third occasion, after her persistence in the matter, he says, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And scripture says that the daughter was immediately healed. What changed? Why on this third try did Jesus really? Because quite simply, the woman persisted in her faith in Christ. She didn't give up, she didn't falter, she didn't lose hope, she persisted. Think about it. Had she walked away after the first request, her daughter would have continued to be tormented. And she would have proven the level of her faith, the pitifulness of her faith. But her faith was great, and it was proven by her persistence. But I want to ask one more question today. Who was it proven to? We, I said, her faith was proven, but her persistent, her faith was proven by her persistence. But who was it proven to? Who were the pupils of this poignant lesson? Well, I'm going to submit this today that it's not her. She knew her faith was great. She knew who Jesus was, and that He was the only one who could help her. And I'll submit this morning, I think pretty logically, that the pupil was certainly not Jesus. He he knew her faith. It was great. He's God, right? He knows everything. Folks, I I want to suggest this today. That her faith and persistence was proven to the disciples, the followers of Christ who had cried out to Jesus to send her away. and he needed to show them what real faith is all about and what he was really there to do and that was to die on the cross for the sins of the world the disciples were looking out for themselves jesus was teaching them that under the new covenant, the focus was broadened to encompass everyone, and that anyone with persistent faith, anyone who had deep faith in Jesus Christ, who knew who Jesus was and didn't give up on Jesus, but continued to press the button, who continued to press forward and lean forward in their faith, would would get the blessings of Christ. And would see the benefits of their faith. Those disciples needed to see that. They needed to see what real faith was like. What real persistence was like. And Jesus showed them through this encounter with the woman. And folks, we can learn something from this woman too. We can learn from this woman about faith and persistence in faith. We can learn not to give up on God. We can learn to keep pressing the divine button, as it were, not to give up on prayer, not to give up on Bible study, not to give up on the people of God, the church, not to give up on our neighbors, not to give up on the lost, not to give up on the grumpy old man down the street, not to give up on the boss who's a thorn in your side, but to persist in faith and to persist in God. And that when we do this, he will see us through and he will ultimately bless us. Folks, that's what happened in this narrative. This woman could have given up, but her faith pressed her forward. Her true faith, her deep faith, kept her going. And because she kept going, and she kept her faith, and she kept her eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of her faith, Jesus blessed her in the end. He needed to show the disciples that through this encounter. They needed to see it so they would learn. And we need to see it today so we will learn as well. And folks, I hope that you'll go back and look at Matthew fifteen, twenty-one through 28 with different eyes and that you'll see this woman's faith for what it was and that you'll see the lesson in it so that you too can have persistent faith. May God bless you and have a great week.